Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons, and it's Thursday, January the 18th, 2024, and this is Narrative Wars. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to today's episode of Narrative Wars. This is going to be a quick-moving, positive, and still hard-hitting episode. We're going to be talking about a number of topics. Uh, first off, we're going to be uh, talking about why the Democrats are absolutely panicking over the recent Trump-Iowa landslide caucus win. Also, we'll be hearing from the president of the World Economic Forum from the 2024 meeting in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, he's showing his cards, and he is also panicking over the failure of the Great Reset. This week, the highest court in the land heard arguments from a group of herring fishermen, and this could gut the overreach of the deep state. All of this in the bigger picture on today's episode of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. Well, we've got a great show prepared for you today. The theme is that conservatives are winning. And I'm not just saying that to blow happy gas in your face. There are some very real signs of a monumental shift that is taking place in America and around the world. People are getting sick and tired of having their lives ruled by the billionaire megalomaniacs and members of the deep state. And so they are pushing back, and this is a good thing for freedom and liberty-loving individuals. All right, we're going to jump right into our first piece here. And Newt Gingrich had some things to say. Now, you remember Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House, and he's often rolled out to comment on uh, the political landscape and what the GOP is doing or not doing. But let's take a listen to this first piece. Uh, Newt talks about five different things that he observed after Trump absolutely trounced the uh, Iowa caucus election results, uh, trumping way out ahead of the uh, number two. I mean, it just left them in the dark. Number two, number three. And of course, Vivek has dropped out completely. Let's take a listen to this piece. This is cut number 1A. So I've got five quick points. One, this is the people's victory. Despite every media, despite every lawsuit, despite every effort to destroy Trump, the people of Iowa have stood up and said, no, he is our candidate. Number two, he's the nominee. Get over it. He is the nominee. He's going to win the nomination. The news media doesn't want to say that because they, they need to somehow hype, please watch us while we go through this charade. There is no candidacy for number two. There is no number two. 
there are irrelevancies. You get to be the leading irrelevant or the second irrelevant or the third irrelevant, but nobody's going to be number two because he's going to dominate totally if you look at the country at large, where he's at like 62 or 64 percent approval. Trump is not a candidate. Trump is the leader of a nationwide movement to take power back from the establishment. And that's why every time he's attacked by the judiciary, every time he's attacked by, by the news media, he gets stronger because people go, yep, that's what I thought. That's exactly what those corrupt people will do. Uh, and of course, starting with the Russian hoax, it's just clear these people lie all the time. Finally, Iowa has turned red. When, when I first got involved in politics, Iowa was a very competitive state and sometimes was a sort of Democrat state. But over the years, Iowa has moved away and Trump is a big part of this. If you look at the, who's winning elections in Iowa today, they're Republicans. If you look at which party's collapsing in Iowa today, it's the Democrats. That's a harbinger, I think, of what the next few years are going to be like. So hopefully this will be a harbinger of things uh, in the future. Now, we want to kind of circle back and discuss a number of these points because I think they're very succinct. They're very well put and extremely observant. Now, uh, who really is the winner uh, in the Iowa caucus? Well, of course, the people of Iowa turning out in sub-zero temperatures and still crushing, crushing the election for Trump. And uh, so the people of Iowa really should get a huge uh, hand right there. Yeah. People of Iowa, you rock. You rock. Okay. Uh, this is really interesting uh, that um, uh, Newt Gingrich, uh, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, uh, observes that Trump is more than just a nominee, that he is the, the head of the spear. He, he didn't say that. That's my words. But that he, I'm saying, and I think it makes a lot of sense, that what Trump is, is the tip of the spear, and he leads a movement. You know, there's a lot of, oh, Trump is a, a populist candidate. There were a few other populist candidates in the past. There was uh, Ronaldus Magnus, Ronald Reagan. There was Barack Hussein Obama. And now we've got President Trump. He is bringing in a huge amount of people into the fold that never voted. My goodness, you've got liberal uh, podcaster, the biggest podcaster perhaps in the world, Joe Rogan, who's saying he's thinking about voting for Trump. That's not a bad thing. Just because Trump makes sense. And I believe Joe Rogan's uh, going to pull the trigger for Trump. Maybe we should say push the button, kind of mixing up the metaphors there. But you get the point. He's going to vote for Trump because basically the world was better with Trump, better economy, better outlook, and the United States was respected around the world. And there weren't new wars. There were new, no new endless wars. So uh, Trump is really the head of a populist movement. And you notice he's bringing in voters that traditionally were not voting for Republicans. He's crushing it in terms of bringing in people of color, 
And so this is quite amazing what's taking place. In addition, the people have rejected these narratives uh, of the past, and they've kind of wised up. They have wised up to the lies that continue to spew forth from the legacy lamestream media, starting with the Russian hoax, which went on for three years while Trump was in the White House. So this sort of thing is really going to need to be swatted down. They're going to want to have a new crisis as soon as Trump gets elective in order to hamstring him in the White House. So Trump is going to have to uh, really be two steps ahead because he needs to anticipate that. And I think he is uh, wiser and he's going to be able to do that. And finally, the the point that Iowa has turned red over the years. Uh, but what I really appreciated was that Newt mentioned that this may be uh, something that is in the cards to come in other states. How about California going red again? Well, Mm, we're going to need a new governor over there, but I know there's a lot of people from California that listen to this, and they still love their state, and they are hopeful that California would turn red in the future. After all, that's the state that Ronald Reagan came from. So what did Trump say after winning the Iowa caucuses? Quote, this is really a time for our country to come together. He's sounding more and more presidential. He was very gracious to uh, Nikki Haley and to Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, Vivek, uh, because he needs their support. Well, he needs the support from those people that were backing those candidates. There really is not any number two. Those uh, other people uh, that are on the supposed Republican ticket, yeah, they're just running for positions on the cabinet. Make no mistake, short another black swan event, like another COVID pandemic, sort of a pandemic 2.0, Trump will retake the White House in November 2024. At the same time, the left-wing legacy media, <laughs> it's so funny, folks. You notice who they're in love with? They're in love with the Trump-hating, disloyal, neocon Nikki Haley. You know, I... I knew that Trump was going to dominate the Iowa caucuses. So what I did was, you know, as soon as I saw that was obvious, that was going to happen, I flipped over uh, to one of the legacy networks. I was watching ABC News, and it was absolutely hilarious, their coverage of the Iowa caucus results. They called it early before, gosh, the— not even 10% of the votes came in. They're just listening to the interviews of people going in to vote, and they call it for Trump. And then they just kept talking on and on about Nikki Haley. Well, you know, if Nikki Haley only loses by 20 points, she's the real winner. Oh, if Nikki Haley only loses by 15 points or 10 points, she's the real winner. And they just kept going on and on about Nikki Haley. I wonder what's going on here. Well, obviously, they don't want to talk about Trump. They want to talk about someone else. And so it's Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. I mean, you would have thought if you hadn't listened uh, to the beginning of the broadcast that she actually won the Iowa caucus. They are absolutely terrified 
the legacy networks are absolutely terrified that Trump would become the new president. Why? Because Trump doesn't acknowledge the legacy networks. He calls them fake news. And that is exactly what they are. Let's uh, continue. And we're going to move on to Davos. What is going on in Davos? Well, in Davos, Switzerland is the annual get-together of the world's uh, megalomaniac, uh, billionaire uh, people. You know those people that want to control uh, your lives and the World Economic Forum is going on this week in Davos, Switzerland. Well, here's a very interesting inter interview with uh, the president of World Economic Forum. It's not, no, it's not Klaus Schwab. Klaus still has a very strong leadership position as the uh, founder, him along with the deceased Henry Kissinger, founders from the very beginning. But this is Borja Brende, president of the World Economic Forum, and he kind of shows his cards uh, they're panicking over there. Let's give a listen to this. This is from Business Today, January 15, 2024. Uh, listen, listen to this piece. It's 49 seconds, and we're going to be listening to the World Economic Forum president, uh, Borje Brende. Rebuilding trust in a fractured world. Do you want to start by explaining to everyone watching at this moment, how does this annual meeting of the World Economic Forum hope to live up to its mission of rebuilding trust? So there is a clear trust deficit globally. There is also a huge geopolitical competition. But even in a fracture, fragmented world, we need to collaborate uh, because some of the most pressing challenges are global and they are transboundary. Looking at, for example, uh, then future pandemics, climate change, cyber attacks, we also know, for example, from the war in Gaza now, that we need to collaborate so this doesn't escalate out of control. So a number of things here. Now, it was a short clip. That was only 49 seconds. But he's showing his cards. He's not just talking to the public. He's also talking to the WEF leadership. And he's signaling, this is what we need to do. First of all, the 2024 theme of the World Economic Forum is rebuilding trust. Well, <laughs> they've been exposed. People don't want to eat the bugs. People don't want to own nothing and be happy. But this is what they told us. In 2020, when Klaus Schwab's book, The Great Reset, came out, they put out a commercial. It was everywhere. It was on the internet. They've taken it down now. You can find it on a few remote sites that people sort of grabbed it and copied it and threw it on their Facebook site, but it's out there. And they had the theme and the message that you will own nothing and be happy. Oh, great. Well, that didn't go over very well. So 2024, rebuilding trust. In other words, people don't trust these crazies, they don't want a new world order. They don't want this unelected group of old money billionaire oligarchs to be ruling. So they know it and they are panicking. You notice he uses the phrase also, we need to collaborate. So 
What is the translation of that? It means we are relevant and you're not listening to us. You need to listen to the World Economic Forum. He also says there's a clear trust deficit globally. Yeah, what's the translation of that? Well, it's the World Economic Forum has overplayed their hand. And we've already talked about that. They have. They spilled the beans early and people have spit out the beans. They've rejected it. Now, what's going to happen in the future? This, these are also cards that he dropped on the table. And I think what he was doing, this, and we're talking about the, uh, the president of the World Economic Forum, Borges Brende, he signaled to the other billionaire crazy people that want to dictate every aspect of your life. What did he say? He said, well, there might be another pandemic in the future. Is he predicting a black swan event before the 2024 election in November of this year? I believe he is. And so we need to be aware of it. Last time, it was COVID-19, which pretty much destroyed the effectiveness of Trump in the White House. And Trump didn't know it, but Fauci was a traitor. And he was doing everything he could to undermine Trump's effectiveness in the executive branch. Unfortunately, what happened was when the emergency use authorization went into effect, everything changed. And the White House was now, or at that time, the White House was playing by a different set of rules. Trump's not going to let that happen again. But something could happen right now, prior to the 2024 election. Oh, they would love to have another pandemic and just keep those drop boxes and mail-in ballots coming because that's when they can cheat quite easily. So who has a voice in future pandemics? Oh, it's the WHO, the World Health Organization. So, yeah, that's a clear signal. And, of course, WHO, Tedros, he's there. He's there at the WEF, the World Economic Forum, this week in Davos, Switzerland, and then, of course, there's those climate change people. Remember the COP conference that just happened? Of course, they want to control your life also, take away your appliances and restrict your mobility. Yeah, they're also there at that conference. And, of course, now this is interesting. He also talked about cyber attacks. Did you catch that? What is he signaling? He's signaling fifth-generation warfare. And, of course, we've been hearing about cybersecurity and cyber attacks and all sorts of problems on the Internet for years, especially since Edward Snowden spilled the beans a number of years ago. And we could get into that deeper in a future episode. And then he talked about escalating world wars. So, you know, Klaus Schwab, you know, he loves to talk about instability. There is much instability and uncertainty in the world today. We must collaborate, which means we want you all to panic. 
and we want you to look to us for solutions. And that's what they love, these cyber attacks. They love these escalating, unending wars. So we need to keep our eyes on that. And then he mentions the war in Ukraine and seeking a formula for peace. So again, he signaled a lot in those last 49 seconds. I think there's a button that you can go back on a lot of your podcast apps where you can just roll it back 30 seconds at a time. You might want to listen to that again. Now, let's listen to another 49 seconds of Borja Brende, president of the World Economic Forum, and we're going to take this one apart also. Uh, Again, this is the president of the WEF, and he's signaling and telling us uh, what these evil uh, billionaires have in mind for the rulership of the world and their one world order. Let's listen to this. Cut number 2B. There is a big meeting of national security advisors taking place at the moment at uh, Davos. Do you want to give us some insights about what you hope to achieve? Because it's very rare for so many NSAs to come together uh, in the same hall. It's true, and uh, we appreciate uh, that as a curtain raiser to our meeting. It's, of course, a very, very uh, serious uh, topic. It's uh, at the backdrop is the war uh, in Ukraine, but also all the other uh, complications. What we hope, though, is that there can be a formula uh, for peace uh, moving forward, because every war has to end, also the Ukrainian war. So the WEF is in absolute panic mode and this is a good thing because we don't want these unelected European uh, maniac billionaires to be telling us what to do in our homes with our appliances and with our lives and with our farmers we don't want that so they're trying to be relevant and so what are they doing well they're opening up a place where they can have conversations and they've invited all these national security advisors to come in from all over the world. They've probably flown them in and put them up in nice hotels and, you know, made it cushy for them to, you know, entice them to come. And what do they want to talk about? Oh, how can we have peace in Ukraine? You know, how are they going to broker the peace deal? So now you've got this competition between the UN and WEF in terms of being relevant and brokering peace. And you notice what's happening here. China is trying to muscle them out. Now, China has been pushing the BRICS nations for quite some time. And just as a a brief uh, uh, highlight here, why BRICS? Well, you've got Brazil... You've got Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Brazil is the strongest country economically in South America. And recently they've been taken over by a left-wing, communist-friendly, slash dictator-style new president. Russia, well, all we need to say is, you know, Putin, we know who he is and where he is comes from his thinking, former KGB agent. So that's Brazil. Russia, India is the world's largest democratic-style nation. Over a billion people. So huge in terms of economics. India, by the way, has the world's largest movie production industry. Far, far larger than Hollywood. China... 
We know where they're coming from. The Chinese Communist Party don't really need to add much to that. And South Africa, the richest nation in Africa. So they've targeted the different continents of the world, Brazil and South America, South Africa and Africa, China would be Asia, India, the world's largest democratic nation, Russia, old money in Europe. They've targeted these nations that are all anti-West nations that are not friendly with the United States, not friendly with the UK or Australia, and they've put together this coalition. So the BRICS nations are the backbone of this coalition, and so they want to try to be relevant, push the BRICS nations out in front and on the world stage so that they can try and solve or pretend to solve the problem in Ukraine. And of course, this is the way it's done uh, with these people. They create a problem so that they can then come up with a solution in order to make themselves look good. I can sense there are a lot of people out there that have been a little bit frustrated for some time. Please feel free to go to our Getter Chat and share your thoughts. Don't give up the cause. Stay active. Exercise your sacred right to vote and your sacred right to free speech. Cheer up. Stay the course. We're on a long game battle for ideas and for liberty. And you can add your voice to the conversation that stands for liberty and the freedoms that Americans hold so dearly. Join us on social media on both Getter, that's G-E-T-T-R, and True Social. Just search for at Jeffrey K. Lyons, and that's Lyons with a Y. I enjoy reading your feedback and reading some of your comments on the air, like Trump won again. Again, you can follow us on Getter or True Social by searching for at Jeffrey K. Lyons. And when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, please five-star rate, follow, and send our podcast link out to one or two like-minded friends. I've mentioned in the past that we had been shadow banned quite frequently in 2023. So we need your help in order to get the word out to other like-minded, uh, liberty-loving Americans and people around the world. And we do have people listening to this in other countries. Well, that's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars Posse. You are the reason why we do this program. And now, let's continue. Oh, you're going to love this fish story. They can be pickled, smoked, or used for bait. But on Wednesday uh, of this week, so this is going to drop on Thursday. So this happened yesterday. On Wednesday of this week, the silvery, skinny fish known as the herring, it's going to be the focus of a dispute that could end with the U.S. Supreme Court reeling in the ability of federal agencies to regulate the environment, healthcare, and workplace. Let's listen to this gut-wrenching report regarding fish. Uh, this is CBS News, January 16, 2024, and this case is now 
before the Supreme Court of the United States. This is cut number 3A. And is the practical tension here that on the one hand, in a complicated world with fast moving and changing things, you want agencies to have some ability to apply a law to the changing environment. On the other hand, you don't want people who are not elected and not responsible to the voters making grave decisions that the voters have to then live by. Is that essentially the tension we're talking about here? Well, that is, yes, that's the tension. I mean, critics of this decision say that courts are too eager to find uh, ambiguity and too ready to turn over the decision. So essentially, uh, the challengers to this case, uh, uh, the industry, wants courts really to be more activist, if you will, to sort of step in and take and take this power to themselves that under the Chevron precedent, uh, the agency lawyers uh, decide. And behind it is really a great skepticism uh, of what's called the regulatory state, that federal agencies just uh, arrogate too much power to themselves. And this way, uh, an industry that's challenging a regulation can get basically a second chance to uh, fight it before the court. So what is the true story behind this fishy tale? Well, something's been stinking in Washington, D.C. for years, and that's the growth of the deep state, the federal agencies, you know, those three-letter agencies, uh, the FDA, the CIA, the FBI, the FTC, it goes on and on. Well, what is at stake here? What's at stake is a 40-year-old decision that if wiped away by the court's authority, by the Supreme Court, this could diminish the case, which is known as the Chevron deference case. Now, this you're going to have to run back the clock to 1984. There was a ruling which involved the oil and gas giant Chevron. But basically, in a nutshell, what the ruling said was that whenever the law is ambiguous, we're just going to defer to the regulatory agencies that Congress has set up. And so what this did was it allowed a tremendous amount of latitude for the administrative state, the deep state, to essentially write laws without Congress even getting involved. And this has absolutely gotten out of hand. And that's why this fishy case, which started back in 2020, has come before the Supreme Court of the United States. And this is typical. It goes through a number of courts. And now there are actually two cases before the court that the, the court is considering, which the court is looking at, which has both have to do with Chevron deference. So on Wednesday, the court heard a pair of challenges to a 2020 regulation that required fishermen in the Atlantic herring fishery industry to pay for monitors. In other words, they had to pay for federal agents to be on their boats and to monitor and oversee operations while they are at sea. And this amounted to as much as $700 a day. How did they come up with this? Well, they, they went all the way back to a 1976 law in order to come up with this. Keep in mind that Chevron deference was only ruled on in 1984. 
But they looked back all the way to 1976 and said, oh, look, we got something that's ambiguous way back in 76. So, yeah, we just need to, the National Marine Fisheries Service needs to step up and we're going to force these people that are in the herring industry to hire a monitor, a federal monitor, and place that person on their boat and have to pay them as much as $700 a day to make sure they uphold the law. And these fishermen are saying, you know, you're going to put us out of business. This is, this is, you know, overstepping. And fortunately, they did overstep. And with the new court that's in place, they've taken up this case. Now, the Chevron deference case has been a problem for years. Thousands of cases have been ruled on since 1984. And so like Roe v. Wade, this case is huge, especially if it goes down in flames. And I'm hoping that this herring case will sink it because something really stinks with having to put a monitor on these ships, a human being to monitor their activity out at sea and pay that person $700 a day. So this is what's going on has to do with the Atlantic Ocean herring fishery industry. So we're going to continue to track this, but keep in mind that they're going to hear the case this week, but they're not going to rule until June of 2024 because that's when the Supreme Court typically releases their final verdict on major cases like this. Now, the exception is that they are speeding up their ruling regarding Trump, and we covered that recently in a prior podcast, and that has to do with Trump and lawfare and the 2024 election. And can Trump be on the ballot, or do states have the right to throw him off the ballot? So they're going to rule much sooner on that. But in terms of this case, it's not a time-is-of-the-essence situation. So they're going to rule in June of 2024. But we've got our eye on this, and the firm New Civil Liberties Alliance is heading up this case, which was brought up in Rhode Island. So we're going to continue to watch this. Uh, let's listen to a, another cut, uh, sort of giving us a bit more details on this situation. This is cut number 3B. Why are people paying so much attention to this issue given the current makeup of the court? Well, this is one of the many uh, other shoes to drop after we saw the court uh, overturn Roe versus Wade. Uh, that obviously was number one on the conservative agenda, but there are many, many other uh, errors that uh, conservative legal thinkers believe the Supreme Court has made over the past uh, decades, and this uh, turned out to be one of them. So, yes, this has been in the crosshairs of those scary conservatives Oh, we knew they were going to try and do this. You, you can kind of catch the bias and the slant here. But this is, folks, make no mistake. This is why, and I'm just disclosing myself, this is why I voted for Donald J. Trump when he became president. And I've voted for Trump every time he's been on the presidential ballot. And the main reason I voted for Trump 
was because I knew what type of justice he would put on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And I just believe that it was Providence that allowed him to put three conservative judges on the bench. And hopefully that will just continue to be the case, that uh, there won't be any change uh, between now and the election, uh, which will occur in November of this year, 2024. So, yes, Conservatives have wanted to take down Chevron deference for years because of this ruling and because of stare decisis, which looks back at past rulings and this body of legal literature, which is built up. Conservatives have had this in their crosshairs. But keep in mind, it was not until Donald J. Trump became president in the United States, it was not until Donald J. Trump put these three new conservative justices on the bench that there was enough political will, or shall we say, judicial will on the bench of the Supreme Court, three new conservative justices in order to overthrow or overturn Chevron deference. So we are in a completely new situation and you're going to watch the country continue to shed the vestiges of the old Warren court and the liberal justices that were in charge in the past, but it's going to take time. We saw Roe v. Wade go down in flames this is another landmark case which is about to be decided. And this is good stuff. This is great for the country. And please vote for Donald J. Trump again. We'll see. Maybe he'll be able to put another conservative judge on the bench. We don't know, but we know what type of justices he put on the bench in the past. And of course, we need to take the Senate because it's the Senate that approves uh, judges, federal judges. And so if we take the Senate, we will be able to put more conservative judges on the various uh, federal courts all across the United States of America. So that's huge. So remember, there are three branches to the federal government. I know I'm, I know I'm sharing this with the choir, getting a little excited here. But you might want to talk to your next door neighbor. Just ask him, what are the three branches of federal government? Or do most people know this? The executive, of course, that is the president who is supposed to be in charge of all those alphabet agencies of the federal government. Of course, he's in charge of the White House and everything that goes on there. Legislative, that's the House and the Senate right now. Chucky e. Schumer in charge of the Senate. He's the Senate Majority Leader, and in the House, you've got Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House. You've got the Supreme Court of the United States at the top of the judiciary system with nine justices on the court. And now it's time for our final segment, which we call The Bigger Picture. This week, the billionaire megalomaniacs and the puppet political talking heads like John Kerry, well, they're at it again in Davos, Switzerland for another annual meeting of the WEF. That's the World Economic Forum, also known as the wannabe emperor 
fanatics. That's right, these people, they want to rule your lives and they've already told you that they want you to own nothing, be happy, eat bugs. These were their words when they announced the Great Reset. Well, the positive news is that the Great Reset failed in 2020. Yeah, it failed. Sorry about that. Sorry about, no, actually not sorry. Not sorry, it failed. So they're panicking and their new theme for this year's WEF 2024, we've already discussed this, their new theme is rebuilding trust because nobody trusts these people. Which brings me to the topic of how to fight back. Well, there's many ways to fight back and fight back successfully. Of course, we can elect Donald J. Trump to the White House again. We can elect others who are liberty-loving Americans across the country. We can contribute to candidates and we can volunteer and we can be poll watchers. We can do all of those things. But here's another thing that we can do. Now, think about, now we're going to have to, we're kind of turning the page here, but think about the movie, The Producers. Remember that movie? Kind of an obscure movie. It came out a few decades ago. Well, Mel Brooks, the humorist writer, the comic writer, Mel Brooks, got his started way back with the Dick Van Dyke show. It was one of the first projects he worked on. He was once asked, now he put out this movie, The Producers, which was kind of an odd movie, featured Adolf Hitler, and Hitler was a humorous character in a fake play that was put on. And the play was supposed to fail, but it became a big hit. So they asked Mel Brooks, who happens to be Jewish, most of you knew that already, they asked him, why did you make a movie about Hitler as a character in a play? And Mel Brooks replied that one of the most effective ways that Jews have of fighting back against Nazis in the 20th century, of course, this was late 20th century, is to destroy their legacy. And one way to destroy their legacy is to make fun of them, humiliate them. So what was Mel Brooks saying? He was saying that comedy can be used as a counter-narrative against tyranny. I'm going to say that one more time. Comedy can be used as a counter-narrative against tyranny. And in this case, he was talking about Nazi tyranny. Well, there's a few YouTubers out there who've kind of caught on to this idea and sort of turning the page back to Klaus Schwab and the crazies at the WEF. They've been making satire videos of the World Economic Forum. One YouTuber video makes the comparison Comparison between the Star Wars evil antagonist Emperor Palpatine and Klaus Schwab. Not a bad comparison, since both of their faces seem to be in various stages of progressive melting. My favorite video is Klaus Schwab singing his version of the Bobby McFerrin hit, Don't Worry, Be Happy. He's kind of like this evil Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes. 
and we can still laugh defiantly at the enemies of liberty. Here, in the land of the free and the home of the brave, a place where we can still proclaim liberty throughout the land. And that's a comforting thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We're going to go out now with Don't Worry, Be Happy, featuring the evil emperor, Palpatine, Klaus Schwab. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to hear it in your pot. You'll owe nothing and be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no car, but 24 booster shots in your arm. Oh, nothing. Be happy. We the people are sick and tired. So tired.